learn about the strides female entrepreneurs of color are making. Be inspired by their story and enlightened by their leadership insight and advice. Welcome to She Leads Podcast, Season 4, Episode 4. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, a mother, businesswoman, and leader. Our guest for today is Donticia Seymour. Donticia Seymour is an American inventor and an award-winning innovation strategist. As a product junkie, serial entrepreneur, and giver of life, she is the founder of Life Before the Tank, a remote invention department firm where she works with aspiring inventors to build their inventions. With a renaissance approach to invention, Donticia is working to dispel the myth that tech is sexier than the exciting new products we encounter each day. As a writer, public speaker, and innovation enthusiast, Donticia is inspiring a new generation of inventors to be bold and disruptive and to do it on their own terms. She has coached hundreds of entrepreneurs and small business owners on strategy and development, helped over 100 inventors with their products, and has helped them raise nearly a million dollars for their amazing ideas. Without further ado, Leadership Empowerment with Don Ticia Seymour. Don Ticia, welcome to She Leads Podcast, Leadership Empowerment for Women of Color. We appreciate you blessing us with your insight today. Thank you for having me, Nicole. I'm really excited about it. You're welcome. Okay, so I read your bio and I want to say kudos to you on your creativity and your courage in becoming an inventor, as well as on your passion to help others with innovation strategy. I think that's really awesome. Thank you. It's an exciting, exciting time, especially with what I do. I mean, I get to help people like literally bring their dreams to life every day. So I love what I do. I'm happy about where I am with it and how we've gotten to this place. It's been a very interesting journey, but it's been worth it. And so I'm just really happy to be here and to just be a part of people's lives the way they allow me to share in that with them is a blessing to me as well. Good, good. I love it. Okay. So are you ready to talk about leadership? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So I myself feel that every person is a leader in one shape or form, whether they realize it or not. Would you agree, Dantisi? So yes and no. Okay. So I agree that everyone has a capable, they have the capabilities to become a leader, right? Like there's something that they can tap into that, you know, strikes into like that leadership ability and that leadership skill that's within them. But I think that most people feel more comfortable taking, you know, orders or following versus leading. And that's okay too, because we need people who are committed to uh, seeing the vision through versus leading the vision. So while I think that it's a, definitely a skill that you can develop, I think that it's more natural for some people than it is for others. And that's nothing to be ashamed about. Okay. Yes. And I actually do agree with you that it doesn't come easy to all. Some people need training. Some people don't. Well, some people, I feel like everyone should be though, because you never know what you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. But also too, like to, and this question is like on self-leadership, right? For people mm-hmm. like we get up every day and we decide what we're going to do. We decide if we're going to choose the path less travel, the path more travel, whether we're going to be pleasant, whether we're going to be angry, that kind of thing. So that's more the mm-hmm. premise of yeah, where I came from. 
Okay, so Don Tisia, can you tell us when you realized you were a leader and what or who helped you to come to this conversation? So that's what's so funny about that is I'm the oldest sibling of four, and my mom was, for all intents and purposes, a single mother. My dad was in the military, and um, when he did get back, they separated. So I spent a lot of my time taking care of my siblings where my mom worked and went to school. And so leadership was kind of forced on me. It wasn't something that I asked for. It wasn't something that I wanted, but it was something that was just a part of my everyday life. Like I had to make sure that my sisters and brothers ate and that they got to school on time, that we were dressed and that we went to church and that they didn't, you know, mess up the house. And so like I had all of these responsibilities as an oldest sibling to make sure that everything was taken care of when my parents were not around. So it's like, for me, it's like, I didn't, it didn't happen for me later in life. Like some people are like, oh, I realized that during this time in my life that I was a leader. For me, it was something that was ingrained for me from a very, very early age. And so I've never not been a leader because it's all I've been, it's all I've been taught. It's all I've known. So for me, it comes super easy. It comes super natural because it's just a part of who I am. Okay. Thanks for that. I love that. And you you made me realize where some of my leadership may have come from because I too had to do a lot of caring for my little sisters and things like that. And I love what you say where leadership was forced on you because when you are given these responsibilities, you have to make it happen, right? Or try your best anyway. So I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things my mom said most was like, you got to take care of your sisters and brothers. You got to make sure that you guys get this stuff done. Like I'm leaving this up to you. Like you have to be the leader. You have to show them what to do and show them the way. And so that's kind of been my role in my family, my entire, you know, my entire life. Even now my siblings look to me for the answers and they look to me for like leadership and to let them know whether or not like things are going right or going wrong in life. And so it's just, it's been a part of, like I said, it's been a part of who I am this entire time. So I guess I owe that, you know, thank you to my mother because those skills have definitely prepared me for my life as an adult and who I am today. Okay. Thanks for that. I love that. And I love too, yes, how our experiences prepare us for where we're going, whether, whether we realize that or not. Yeah. Okay. So in my upcoming book, The Code of Leadership, The If Then Process, I outline my experiences and lessons that have helped me to become a better leader with the intention of helping others do the same. Dantesia, mm-hmm. can you share what you would consider to be your code of leadership and why? So when it comes to, you know, I guess a code of leadership. So when I think about something like that, it's, I'm assuming it's like the things that you use as your guiding light, right? When it comes to how you are as a leader. And for me, I think the biggest thing is I always remember to lead with uh, compassion. I think that a lot of leaders forget that, like that compassion piece, because they want to get results and they want people to you know, see them and respect them and to do what they say. And a lot of times compassion is left out of there. And what I've realized is the more I show compassion to those who look to me for leadership and guidance, the more I get back from them, right? The more willing they are to listen to me. And I think that we in this world lack a lot of compassion and empathy these days, especially in, in the age of social media where we're quick to judge and we're quick to, you know, cancel someone. And we hold people to these just ridiculous standards um, as humans, right? And so I think that there's a lot of times we forget that people are either coming out of something or going into something. Mm. 
don't lead with compassion. And so one of the things I, I always ask myself when dealing with a situation, if I'll get an angry email from a client or someone will say something to me that really is off-putting, I ask myself, what's the compassionate way to respond to this individual? How can I show them some empathy? Because there's a really good chance that everyone else they encountered today has not done that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what can I do differently to change this narrative and to change the conversation? And so I'm, I try to not be reactive. A lot of people are reactive and responsive. And I usually let things simmer down for a minute before I have a response. And if I don't have a lot of time, I just have a couple of canned responses that are compassion based. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's the biggest thing that I do. And I think that's why so many of my clients, um, even when they don't get things done the way they want them done, they still have high regard for me in our relationship because I'm not super sweet, believe it or not. Like a lot of people think <laughs> she's probably super sweet. She's probably super nice. I am not. I am not super sweet. I am not super nice, but I am compassionate and I am, I'm a get shit done coach, right? So it's like, what do you need to get done? We don't have time for the excuses. We don't have time for this. But when real life situations arise and real things happen, I definitely like put on my compassion hat and I'm like, okay, how do we fix this? How do we get you to that place that you need to go to? And I think that as long as I feel like that's something that I'm putting at the forefront of how I run my life and how I run my business and how I interact with others, it just helps me to become a better leader. Okay. Thanks for that. I love that answer. And I love how you said take two things into consideration, right? People are either coming out of something or going into something. So a lot of times, even a person's response or even their, whatever they have going on, it's not about us, even though we might be the one that's receiving it, right? So in those instances, that compassion is awesome. And I love your tools. How, because in the heat of the moment, even though you want to be compassionate, if you're not prepared, you could fly off the handle just like anyone else, right? So I love how you said you have canned responses. Yeah, that's I love that. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, I do. And I and one of one of the things that I like to ask people is like, you know, there's a disconnect. Where did that happen? Like something has happened. So tell me where the disconnect is. Like, what are you experiencing that I'm not that I'm not receiving? Right. And that and then what that does is it takes their energy level, you know, down some because they're like, oh, wait, this person is open to listening to me now. Right. Like they're, they mm-hmm. actually want to know what the problem is. And so I think like that's when, when I really just don't understand. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, yo, so there's a disconnect here. I want to get to where you are. So you got to lead me there. So tell me what I'm missing. What am I not seeing? And then a lot of times I legitimately am missing something. Right. And I'm able to get to the root cause of a problem versus the symptoms. And I'm able to diagnose that and fix those things. And that's what's helped me in my business. Because I've had a couple of people come at me and I'm confused. I'm like, whoa, I don't really see what's happening here. I've given you these things that you've asked for and these tools. Why are you angry? And they say, well, we're, I'm angry because I didn't like the way you responded to this thing. Because this made me feel a certain way. Right? And a lot of times it's just misinterpretation. Mm-hmm. And... I think a lot of people in business, especially in the coaching or consulting industry, we don't take enough time, you know, really listening to people and how they respond to the things that we say and the things that we give them. And so that's something that's really big. And it's something I try to take time doing as I'm getting older and I'm more mindful of how I'm impacting and interacting with people. It's just kind of what I try to look for and I try to do in my relationships now. 
Yes, I love that. And I think if I could pull one thing out of that, it would be mindfulness, right? Because mindfulness is so important. And it's something that I don't think we're even taught in school or that people don't put to meet enough emphasis on where it could solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I believe all leaders experience failure. Mm-hmm. I myself, I don't like to consider them failures. I like to consider them lessons, take more of an optimistic view. Mm-hmm. Tisia, can you share your view on failure and what it means to you? So I feel like the failure is just another way of learning how not to do something, right? And so like, that's just kind of how I see it. I'm like, oh, that, that way didn't work. So we can scratch that off the list. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's just a process of elimination. I don't internalize it because I have experienced both a lot of failure and a lot of successes. And I know that it's just a numbers game. Right. And so like if there's five ways to do something and I try three and those don't work, that means I got two more to go and I'm going to find the way that works. And so for me, failure is just an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow as well, because how we handle failure speaks a lot to who we are and where we are in our life and in our journey and to our character. It also shows things that we could possibly work on. Um, and how we deal with those setbacks and those failures. I know that I used to definitely get very upset and used to beat myself up when something didn't work out. And it took, you know, it took a couple of years for me working through that and you know, really seeing failure as, you know, a process of elimination and seeing it as an opportunity to try something different that could work and to be happy that I was able to eliminate something quickly. And also even now, I don't even harp on it, right? So it's like if something's not working, I have no problem pivoting. Before I used to be like, I'm going to make this thing work because this needs to work because I'm so smart and there is no way that I'm doing this the wrong way, right? So it's like, I'm going to keep pushing this wrong way down people's throat until someone says this is the right way, (laughs) you know? And so now I'm kind of in a place where I'm like, oh shoot, this isn't working. People are not responsive. Let's switch things up and see if this other thing will work. So it's like, I had to go through that almost like the whole I'm going to push this until I can push it no more and realize that that was not the way to do it to where now is like when there is some sign of failure, something's not working, I switch it up. Like I'm testing, testing, constantly testing, testing, constantly seeing, you know, analyzing, evaluating and making changes based on the responses and the reactions that I'm getting to those things that I'm doing. So for me, it's really just a process of elimination. I mean, I'm also an inventor, right? And so in our world, it's all about failure. It's all like, there is no prototype that's right the first time. Like I have done this now over a hundred times. There is no prototype that's right the first time. Like there hasn't been a single one who nails it on the first go. And so for me, it's like, all right, let's get through the first three because the first three are going to be bad. You know, and, they, and people get so upset. They get so upset when they hear that because they expect <laughs> to get it right the first time. I'm like, yo, listen, it's not going to be right the first time. I just need you to get that first first one out fast so we can see what we need to do to change it right and so like it's failure is such a part it's ingrained in the invention community and and in our industry to where it's like this isn't failure this is just process of elimination this is the first the first iteration as we like to call it Mm -hmm. failure Mm -hmm. is now an iteration it's the first iteration let's move on to the second one so you know it's just all about how you view it and how you can associate it with what you have going on and for me it works because it's like all right we know this is going to happen. Let's prepare for this. And then let's prepare to move on past that. Okay. Yes. So I love your, it's a numbers game, right? So it's a lot of different ways to do something. Once you start getting those ways out the way, so to say, that don't work, you can get to what does work faster. Mm-hmm. 
I love your test, analyze, evaluate, and make changes, right? Because that's how we continue to be better. That's how we continue to improve. And your iterations, that reminds me of like agile development and, you know, just keep it on going, right? Getting those testing, figuring it out and, and keeping it moving is basically the same way to say three different things. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay, so Danticia, can you share one time you failed as a leader and tell us what you learned from that experience that helped you to become a better leader? Girl, I fail all the time. <laughs> like, you want me to pick one? It's like free life. You want me to pick one? Right. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of education that I don't use, right? Like, I went to school for a lot. I have several degrees in a field that I'm no longer a part of. I was in political science. I was working for the mayor, running for city council when I decided to launch an invention company, something I had never done before, apparel company at that, fitness apparel. So I am a girl in the manufacturing industry now trying to figure out how to manufacture gloves, launch them, sell them, and do this whole thing. Meanwhile, there's a part of me that still kind of wants to do this political thing because I put so much time, energy, and money into it. But I decided instead to go all in on this invention life. Now, had I stayed with the political piece at the time, I would have won that seat. The incumbent dropped out of the race. It would have been an open seat. I was the favorite. I would have won, right? And it would just been another part of my life of winning. Like I was just used to, you know, things happening so easily for me. And it didn't come that way for me with the invention business. The first year, I think I lost $28,000 I had everyone under the sun telling me I need to stop. I need to pack things up. I need to, you know, just like go back to politics and go back to government and doing the thing that I was doing before because this was, I clearly was not being successful at it, you know? And I remember having a conversation with my best friend, like that first year of Christmas Eve, or maybe it was like New Year's Eve right around that time. And I said to her, how did I get here? You know, I was like, how did I get here? Like a year ago, I was, you know, the favorite to win this thing and I was living this life and people love me. And now I'm like depressed in my house and my business is losing money and I don't know what I'm doing. How did I get here? You know, and she was like, are you surprised? Like you're doing something completely different. You're doing something you've never done before. You thought that it was just going to come to you easily because other things have come to you easily. And the things that you want, like those things, those big visions that you don't quite understand, but you follow anyway, those are the ones that take work. But, you know, those are the ones that are going to take time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it was just like pushing through all of those failures, getting it wrong, having manufacturing delays. And then when the products did come, having them wrong, having to ship them back to the manufacturer, missing out on the whole holiday season. Right. The, the kind of stuff that could cripple a business and could cripple you when you're just starting out with something. It's definitely the type of environment that makes you want to quit and walk away. And, you know, that's kind of where I was with it. But I knew my why. And I talk to my clients, actually, the very first exercise I make them do is I make them identify their why. And I tell them it's because it doesn't matter how easy things are today. At some point, things are going to get very, very difficult. And you have to be able to go back to the why you're doing this and to feel that. Because if you can't feel that thing, if you can't tap into that why, you're not going to be able to push forward. And because I knew exactly what my why was and I knew the kind of lifestyle that I wanted to live and I knew what I wanted to, you know, give to my daughter and the experiences I wanted to have for her. And I knew that this product was going to open the door for that. It didn't open it the way I thought it would, even though I sold the company, sold the patent, was able to do some stuff. Like it's the knowledge that I gained learning all of this 
that has actually been the catalyst for my success. Right. And so it's like success might not even come the way you think it's going to come. Like I didn't walk away having sold my company for $10 million. Right. It's like I sold my company for a nice pocket amount of pocket change, but it was the knowledge that I acquired that has allowed me to build a successful, like an uber successful business. So sometimes it doesn't come the way you think it's going to come. Right. But you can feel and sense that this is a thing for you. And you just kind of have to keep pushing through that through the fears, through the failures, through the doubters, through the naysayers, if you feel in your heart, if you know that this is a thing for you, then you have to kind of push through it. Okay. Thanks for that. I love that. And I do agree that knowing your why is the foundation for success. Without that, you can easily crumble. Sort of like a tree, right? Those are your roots. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps you rooted and standing in the place that you've decided to stand or that you've planted yourself, so to say. Mm-hmm. And like you said, your motivation to push forward and how you said, like, we look for, I think we try to focus on outcomes all the time, outcomes, mm-hmm. results, right? And we focus on what we think should happen as opposed to, like you said, it didn't go the way you thought it would go or the way you maybe even wanted it to go, but the way it worked, like you couldn't even have planned that if, if you tried to probably. You know, what you were able to take away from those experiences. I like that as well. You just Mm -hmm. go with the flow and enjoy the journey. Thanks for that. Yeah. Okay. So, Donticia, do you feel it's easier, harder, or requires the same effort to be a female leader in the entrepreneur ecosystem? Why? So, you know, I, you know, I really... I steer away from gender conversations. I'm and, I'm and I don't have a problem answering this, but here's why I steer away from gender. I am an ENTJ, right? If you know anything about Myers Briggs, you know about the personalities. I'm an ENTJ, mm-hmm. so like I am a leader through and through. Is a part of who I am. I don't feel that being a woman has hurt me at all. I could be wrong. Like I could be totally wrong. I could be a lot farther if I was white and male. You know, it has a very real possibility. But because I don't feel like it has stopped me and it has affected me, it doesn't affect how I move, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't affect how, like people ask me to sit on gender-based and, you know, diversity-based panels and I say no. I always say no. And it's not because I don't feel that we aren't, we're making like 60 cents on the dollar or something like that. I, those inequalities are very real. It's just that I don't give them energy. I just don't. It's like, I got a goal. I have an outcome. I'm going to do whatever is required of me to get to that goal and to get to that outcome. And so when it comes to being a woman, there are a lot of advantages as well, you know? And so while people like to talk about the disadvantages, I like to focus on the advantages because there are feminine traits and feminine qualities that is, that had, that we possess a charm that can allow us to get a lot of stuff done when we finesse the system and we finesse people. And I think that if we spent more time focused on our assets and those benefits and, you know, ways to use that to, I don't want to say increase, but ways to use it in a way that benefits us. I think that anytime you, whatever you focus on becomes, you know, the the issue, right? Or whatever Mm -hmm. you focus on becomes reality. So for me, I just don't focus on it. Now, is it, is it true that it's harder? I think that that's, I think that's personality based. I think for some women, 
they get very frustrated being the only woman in the room. And they get very frustrated when men seem to kind of talk down to them. They get very frustrated in situations like that. I've seen them happen. I've seen it happen. I've seen some of my female friends who are multimillionaires, who run multi-million dollar operations and companies, get very frustrated when they are not allowed to be in certain rooms or sit at certain tables. And I am just like, girl, why? You know, I'm just always like, girl, why? Mm-hmm. Like they're doing you a favor. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't need them. And so for me, I just don't give it much energy, but that doesn't mean that it's not harder. I'm sure it's harder. I just don't pay attention to how hard it is. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. No, it does. It does. And I actually love that perspective. It's funny, like when I originally, and I've told this in previous episodes, when I originally came up with that question, it was from a mindset of like, I came from corporate America, you know, like you said, like the inequality is real, it's Mm -hmm. real, but you get what you focus on, right? So Mm -hmm. don't pay attention to that. Just pay attention to what you have to offer and push forward to your goal and you'll get there. But if you pay attention to all of the noise or whatever you want to call it around you, then you'll get stuck there. So I do agree with you and I understand exactly what you're saying. And the ecosystem is changing. Yes. Now that I love. (laughs) It's all changing. The ecosystem is changing. And so as it continues to change, more opportunities will open up for women, all women, women of color, you know, white women, everyone. The ecosystem is changing and more women are in power now. We have more access to the dollar without having to go through our male counterparts. And so, so much is changing with this access to where giving men any energy is a waste of time. (laughs) Like legit. Like giving, get, like giving someone any power over what you're able to do when there's so much access now is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's why I don't do the panels. I'm like, for what? We're going to sit around and talk about it. And then what? Is anyone going to go home and do anything productive with this information? Mm. So it's like, no. Like, why are we sitting around having a pity party? We know what the inequalities are. We know that things are out there that's happening that's unfair and and it's going to continue to happen. So why not instead have conversations about, okay, girl, what can we implement today that's going to make you a success tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. Focus on the success. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. All right. So productivity is a hot topic right now. Mm -hmm. It should be. Many people want to know how to do more with less and be efficient. As a successful leader, this is a must. Mm-hmm. Danticia, do you have any productivity tips to share with our listeners? Yeah, so I ultra work. I am a person who is hyper-focused. I hyper-focus in three-hour increments. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. I think one of the best books I've read in the last six months has been The 12-Week Year. Or maybe it was like it's in the last nine months, the 12-week year. And it talks about how to organize your work in a way that's like most productive and how to plan out your year in increments of 12 weeks versus a full year. Because when you spread things out, you wait to rush at the end, right? You know, it's like if I, I want to do, let's say I want to do a million dollars this year. And it's like the first six months, I'm kind of pattering around and I've done like 200,000. And now this second six months, I'm like, okay, I got to rush and do 800,000 or I wait until the last quarter. I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to make 600,000 in the quarter. And so what I love about the 12 week year is it breaks it down in ways that are much more digestible versus long-term, this is what I want to do in a year. And then at the end of every 12 weeks, you reassess and you do it again. But what I do during my regular weeks is I do something called ultra working. That's actually a program where they do it with you. 
but I do it by myself also. And what it is, is these increments where you work in three to four hour blocks, 30 minutes on, 10 minutes off. So I work for 30 minutes and then I take a 10 minute break. And then I work for 30 minutes and I take a 10 minute break. And so I'll look up three, four hours and you're like four X times more productive than you would be if you were just working regularly throughout the day. So I have these hyper-focused blocks of time that are blocked off three times a week. I actually only ultra work three times a week. So I work hyper-focused 12 hours a week, but I get 40 hours worth of work done in those 12 hours, which gives me a lot of other time to do other stuff that I want to do. Yes, I love that. I love that. And I have heard of that before. I don't know if I've heard the term ultra work, but definitely working in those increments and giving yourself that 10 minutes to refresh and and then bring yourself back to keep pushing so that you don't burn out or just feel overworked. Yeah, I think they call it working in sprints. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, sprints. But I, I do this with a, a group of people and we ultra work. And there's people from around the world and we'll hop on Zoom and there'll be 80 people. And then there's a timer and the guy's like, all right, let's work. And then everybody puts their head down and they work. And then we take it to a minute and then we, we're back at it again. So it's really nice to work with the community because you're a lot more focused when there are other people working. But I've done it so much now to where I can do it on my own without having to do it with the team. Okay. I like that. Yes. And I do agree. Have the team to do it and also learning how to allow yourself to do it for, um, on your own is, is mm-hmm. awesome. Okay, so Don Ticia, can you share an experience that blessed your leadership and tell us about the outcome or the takeaway that you learned? Yeah, so so I used to be a hothead. I used to be a hothead. Like I loved arguing and like it brought me joy. It was, it was, I mean, I grew up in the house where my mom used to argue all the time. And so it was just a part of who I, I was. And I was working for, you know, Florida State College in Jacksonville, and I had an amazing boss. And he would say stuff to us like, you know, I'm just here to help you along your career arc. This isn't your final stop. This is just where you are in your career arc. And he knew that I wanted to get into politics and I wanted to do all this other stuff. I was a recruiter for the GED programs. I used to go out into the community and get people, adults mostly, to come back to school to get their, you know, literacy exams done so they could live better lives. Like that was my thing. And but and I sat on the literacy council in Jacksonville and I was the only Black girl, I was young, everyone else was older, white, like that was the reality. And so there was a coddle mentality when it came to engaging our community in encouraging them to come back to school. And I was vehemently opposed to that approach. And on more than one occasion, I expressed just how opposed I was to it. And one day my boss, who also sat on the council, said to me, he said, you know, you're making very valid points, but no one can hear you through all the anger. Mm. he was like no one can hear you right now Mm. he was like you have to if you are serious about being a leader and you're serious about getting to politics you have to figure out a way to get your message across without being angry he's like you are so angry and you need to learn how to deal with that and to deal with those emotions and to have a conversation with someone without it actually affecting you emotionally and so when I graduated, like I think a year later with my master's in public administration, I decided I wanted to go to school to learn how to control my anger because I'm a big believer. And if you don't know how to do something, pay for it, like figure out a way. And so I went to school to get my Ph.D. in conflict analysis and resolution because I wanted to learn how to resolve conflict in a way that 
is calm mm. and works. And after about two and a half, maybe three years, I dropped out of the PhD program and just got another master's instead. And I think that was definitely the thing that has blessed me as a leader is knowing how to resolve conflict. My emotional intelligence is super high. And that was not the case, you know, seven years ago. Because I went back to school, I think, for this in 2011, 2012 is when I went to get that PhD. And so, like, the last four years, five years of my life has been vastly different because I've learned how to resolve conflict. I've learned how to analyze it, to, to see it before it starts, and to put it out. And it's something that works for me and has really blessed me professionally and personally. That ability to have like the emotional level of intelligence that I have, because that's missing for a lot of people. I hear I have mm-hmm. a lot of Facebook friends and a lot of people in the business world. Yeah. <laughs> they a lot of great things, right? And they are on Facebook and they're just like, you should be doing this and I can't stand this. And I'm like, yo, like people are not receiving you because your tone is off, your message is off, you're yelling at people, you're cursing them out, you're making them feel bad. Like there's a way to inspire without you know, like beating someone down. Mm -hmm. And I see that all the time. I see a person's lack of emotional intelligence being the one thing that's stopping them from hitting their professional goals because Mm -hmm. they don't know how to control themselves. And so I am grateful for my boss. You know, my boss, Jeff Hess, for (laughs) saying to me, like, yo, listen, you are going to be somebody amazing and, and great and you're going to change the world. But first, you got to get your temper under control. And so you have to figure out how to do that. He's like, you got to take an anger management class or whatever. You have to figure out how to do that. And I took him seriously. And I, I was so over that PhD program because if I had to say, lead a conversation with, I understand how you're feeling. Here's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I'm hearing that you feel like this when I do this, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it was so redundant and it mm-hmm. drove me nuts. And it's just really a matter of acknowledging someone else's feelings, someone else's thoughts, um, someone else's fears. I think that we don't acknowledge people, people's fears enough, mm-hmm. especially as leaders. Like we have to understand that people are afraid every single day. Like people are walking around afraid of the next level, afraid of not being able to do meet certain goals, afraid of disappointing their family or not being there for their children or, you know, getting sick. And like people are, they have so many fears that they're just holding on to them every day. Mm-hmm. And I think that being able to acknowledge, you know, people's fears and having a conversation from a place of, I understand you, I see you, I feel you, how can I help you? transform me as a leader like legitimately yes i love that i love that and conflict resolution is necessary to be a successful leader but like you said a lot of people i don't think we put emphasis on a lot of the things that's really important like we talk about math and science and social studies and things like that but we don't get down to like financials and and emotional intelligence and mindset which is the foundation which will make us great so i love that you see a lot of great companies and great ideas implode because the founder and the leader have no emotional intelligence. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so get out there, guys, and get your emotional intelligence courses, books, whatever you have to do to make sure that you are leading effectively. 
There's a really good book called Brainworks. I'm trying to think of who the authors. I'm like looking around. My books are not in my new office yet. They're out in the in the living area. But there's a book called Brainworks and it's really, really good. I'm gonna make sure I get you that right name because I don't want to give you the wrong name. Okay. The wrong one. But it's such a good book and it talks about how the mind works. It talks about how we process stuff like that, how to work on our emotional intelligence, how to make sure that we're responding in a way that's not reactive Mm -hmm. and actually thought it through. And it talks about how other people receive stuff, the dynamics other people have when they have a conversation with you or they hear something or they see something and how to kind of interpret that. So I can save you $20,000. It's called MindWorks, a practical guide for changing thoughts, beliefs, and emotional reactions. It's by Gary Warmerdam, and it's only a hard copy. They don't have it on audio. It's not, it's not, it's, you have to actually, you have it on Kindle or they have a hard copy, but it's not something that you can listen to. He has not put it on audio yet. I don't know why, because it's such an amazing book, probably because it's one of those books that need to be consumed visually, but it's such an amazing book. And it talks all about how to regulate your thoughts and emotions and beliefs. So it handles the mindset piece. It handles the emotional intelligent piece. It handles like the compassionate and thoughtfulness piece as well. So you can get literally all of that in this book. So for $7.99. Oh, (laughs) look, you can't beat that. Okay. I'm going to save you $10,000, for $7.99. You get everything I learned <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> hey, you straight to the point. Okay. So, Danticia, can you offer our listeners the best advice you have as a leader or have ever received from a leader and tell us how you've implemented it into your life? Yeah. So, I think, surprisingly enough, the best advice I've received as a leader comes from my daughter's father, which is a very weird place for it to come from. <laughs> but, but we're 17 years into this thing now. So we, we know each other pretty well. And, you know, one of the things he said to me was quite a bit a ways ago. And, and we kind of touched on it here. And, but it's the thing that sticks with me all the time. And it's, you know, it's not about you. It's mm-hmm. never about you. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, like everything is not about you. Me being sad, me being angry, it's not about you. And I think that a lot of times as leaders, when something doesn't go right, we internalize it as something that we've done wrong. When people are not responsive to what we're trying to teach them or show them, we take it personally as something that we've, that we've done wrong. And so I think the biggest thing that I've, I have to, that I always remember is that it's not about you. Like, it's not about me. Like, if, it's, if my goal is to help others reach their dreams, then it's about them. Right. And so when I'm talking to my clients or when I'm doing a Facebook live or I'm about to and I'm preparing for it, the conversation I always have is what do they need? It's not what do I need? What do I need to say? it? I don't need to just get on here so people can hear me talk. Right. It's like I don't need to hear me talk. I know what I sound like. I know what I think, and what I believe. So I always so what do they need? What is in it for them? Right. And I, so it's funny that it came from him. But like that, that thing that changed me. Like that thought process, just that it's not about you changed how I do everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was like, how can I make it about them? Especially considering my clients are all inventors who are super vulnerable, who are super scared, who this thing is a part of them. You know, it lives and breathes inside of them. It's their baby. It's their idea. And so for them, it takes a lot to trust someone with that dream. 
and to trust someone with that idea. And so I can never make it about me. It always has to be about them because we're also in an industry where a lot of people take advantage of inventors and their vulnerabilities and their desires to, to have their thing um, come to life. And so they're easy prey. And so I have to constantly, you know, just let them know over and over again, hey, this is not about me. I, I have my invention. I've done my thing. This is about you. And I think that just having that mindset when I get really frustrated, which does happen, I get frustrated often. When I get really frustrated, I have to say, it's not about me. Put yourself in their shoes. Like, how do they feel? And that goes back to like the compassion piece, the emotional intelligence piece. It all ties in. Mm-hmm. And it took a while for me to get here. But I'm yes. here. I'm here. It took a while for me to get here, but I'm here. And I think that that's probably the biggest asset that I have is that I'm, it goes back to mindfulness, right? I'm mindful and aware of others. Yes. Yes. I agree with you. I agree with you. And yeah, I've been there. I've been there and it does, it takes a while to get out of that mindset, but once you're able to, then you're actually able to help people more and be less reactive to people and things like that. So thanks for that. Okay, so Danticia, you made it to the finish line. How do you think? <laughs> I love finish lines. Yes. Okay, well, I want to thank you again for being our guest on She Leads Podcast, Leadership Empowerment for Women of Color. But before we part, do you want to give our listeners your contact information or mention any events, products, services, and or ventures that they would be yeah. knowing about? You know, if you guys want to just kick it with me and hang out. I'm on Instagram at Danticia. I'm actually, I don't post a lot, but I post sometimes on there. But on Facebook, I'm pretty active. Um, you can find me at Danticia Seymour. I'm the only one in the world, so it's really easy to find me. I met Danticia on Facebook. If you have an idea for an invention, there's several ways. You can go to DanticiaSeymour.com. Um, I also have a Facebook group called Bill Fund and Launch Your Awesome Invention. So you can join us in there and we can help give you guidance and you can have a community of other inventors who are building their products as well. But honestly, you put my name in Google and you'll find me because legitimately I'm the only one that comes up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, that's, but the easiest way to get to me is through Facebook or through the website um, at DanteCCMore.com. And yeah, no big events coming up. No big events coming up externally. Lots of events for my clients, but no external events coming up. Okay, guys, that sounds like we should be a client. All right. Well, thank you, Danticia. We appreciate your insight today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm I'm happy to be here and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. You're welcome. You're welcome. I really enjoyed this interview with Danticia and I hope you did as well. I agree with Danticia's viewpoint to focus more on the advantages of being a woman as opposed to giving energy to the unleveled playing field we are in. The facts are indeed the facts, yet we do not have to give energy to the lack. We must embrace the advantages we have as women and use our femininity to work our God-given magic. As Danticia mentioned, women possess a charm that is unique and can be used to finesse the atmosphere. We must look at being a woman as an advantage, especially considering that the ecosystem for women is changing and there is so much access now. I admire Danticia's dedication and determination to fix her anger issues by studying conflict resolution and learning emotional intelligence. 
Leaders accept personal imperfections and figure out ways to fix the problem. As Don Ticia stated, it is important to learn to resolve conflict in a way that is calm. Being calm is indeed a superpower. Luckily, we all can attain it if we put in the work. I love how Dantesia decided to solve her problem by going to doctoral school, as I wholeheartedly believe in the value and importance of higher education. I am super appreciative of the book she shared with us that will provide the same knowledge for a fraction of the cost. I can relate to Dantesia's experiences being the older of several siblings and having to take charge to help her household as I experienced the same. Our upbringing definitely molds us for our future, whether we realize it or not. As an adult, I often look back over my childhood experiences and am grateful for occurrences that I did not necessarily enjoy while growing up. Character building is not an easy process. Yet it is essential to reach our peaks as individuals. A quote by Eleanor Roosevelt reads, character building begins in our infancy and continues until death. Nicole Walker's takeaway for this week. Dantesia mentioned the importance of being compassionate with others to resolve conflict and build trust. Realizing that it's not about you, as Dantesia said, is essential to achieve this goal. It is so true that we are often quick to judge and cancel others while not considering that people are either coming out of or going into something themselves. I will make it my business to listen more and react less. I will be more mindful of my responses and use Dantesia's advice to have some canned responses on hand for times when I cannot take the moment needed to simmer before speaking. I care about how I am impacting and interacting with others. So compassion is a must. A quote by Audrey Humpburn reads, nothing is more important than empathy for another human being suffering. Not career, not wealth, not intelligence, certainly not status. We have to feel for one another if we're going to survive with dignity. And now we have Nicole Walker's Leadership Challenge of the Week. My leadership challenge for you will be to think about the one thing you can take away from this episode and adopt into your life. I know it's hard to absorb too much information at one time, and it's even harder to try and implement too many changes at once. When I attend trainings or listen to podcasts, I aim to walk away with at least one thing that stuck out to me and one way that I can change as a result. I challenge you to do the same. If you decide to take me up on my challenge, I would love to know about your key takeaway. If you care to share, please go to the She Leads Podcast discussion group on Facebook and leave your comment under the Takeaway Thursday post for season four, episode four. Don't forget to subscribe to She Leads Podcast for first access to future episodes, and also like and share this episode of She Leads Podcast, which is entitled, It's Not About You, with Dantesia Seymour. Thanks, and until next time, be empowered and empower on.